Real News. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is October 21st, 2019. Wow. It is a pretty incredible week. Uh, upcoming next two weeks are going to be pretty insane. And we see that from the response uh, that we have been seeing in regards to actions from the corrupt, the nefarious, the running for cover because they are not happy left. We saw Pelosi and Schiff decide to go on a secret delegation, a secret delegation that Mark Esper kind of intercepted in Afghanistan, but missed out on the Jordanian side. Pretty curious after Pompeo met um, with uh, Netanyahu in Israel uh, just this uh, past Friday. So it's, it's, it's just very, very interesting we have to remember who attended this, which is even crazier. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about Tulsi. Uh, that's very interesting. Talk about censuring Adam Schiff, pretty much uh, scolding him on paper for being a loser. Um, there is just... I wonder what's dropping today. They are going insane. Oh, and let's talk about Hillary Clinton's tweet. And we're also going to talk about the Doral. Uh, that is of grave concern to me um, in regards to that. I also want to talk about the thruple Katie Hill person, right? Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, she is in violation, actually, of congressional rules. And she's still there. No one is upholding the rules. Let's start with that. So we all have seen the picture of Katie Hill naked combing her staffer's hair that her husband took a picture of, right? The thing is, is that if you actually pull out the house rules and read them, you'll see that she is in violation. It clearly states that a member, delegate, or resident commissioner may not engage in a sexual relationship with any employee of the house who works under the supervision of the member, delegate, or resident commissioner. That means that Katie Hill should be fired instantly and nothing has been done. This is the law. This is how it should be. And I have a little article that I've been, guys, you know, I've been unpacking. I have been just having the most insane weekend. Um, you know, I've been unpacking for like, one, what is it now? It was from September. What was it? Uh, 28th. You know, thank you for, you know, for my friends. I mean, Scott was telling me it's all great and dandy, but when you have to unpack, that takes forever. Boy, does it. But, um, yeah, because I've been in boxes since the end of September. Anyway, I have been so busy, but I've got this down. Because the question is, when this article goes up, that I've sent off a letter to Congress, to my representative, and to the appropriate member, you know, members that will be addressing this. This is a very, very big problem, obviously, to the Ethics Commission, blah, 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 blah. Because when I write stuff, I want it to be accompanied with letters, like official stuff. As a constituent and as a voter, what I demand. She should have been fired immediately, uh, but she hasn't. So what we need to remember, guys, is that 
There are different rules for the Democrats and different rules for everybody else. That's how it seems, right? It seems like nothing can touch them. They are untouchable. And, you know, uh, it, it plays no role uh, to whatever you say. Because they're letting you know who they are. They're telling you, mind your manners, mind your place. We're in charge. Leave us alone. That's basically what they're telling us. And if you don't see that, uh, no matter what side of the aisle you're sitting at, you're not, uh, you, you obviously can't see what's really going on. And you know, let me tell you something. The right, the right, the conservatives, the actual Republicans, okay, are so woke right now, so woke, they're in for a big surprise when it comes to elections. Huge surprise. I loathe dog and pony shows, and I loathe double standards. You know, if they think that the American right, the American centrists, and, and you know, the left, the, the right-leaning lefties aren't woke, boy, they're going to have a big surprise. This is why they're pulling all cards they can. They'll lie. They'll do anything they can as long as they can ensure that they're safe or as long as they can demonstrate that they may have some power. And that's the basic thing. I mean, I want to know if the troops in Afghanistan were actually happy to see her. I would love to see something from the troops. I'm waiting. I've put out my feelers. I want to see. They met with President Ghani, remember, and the Taliban, uh, you know, rep, uh, you know, chief execs. It was Abdullah Abdullah they met and other Afghan officials. You have to remember the Taliban is a political party, okay? Why are they meeting with people that refused to come to terms and meet with our president? This is a, this is a problem. They're saying that they discuss security, governing and economic development. Um, but they also went to camp more <laughs> to meet with coalition troops. I, I, I am pretty sure no one was happy to see them. Nobody likes Pelosi. Nobody likes Schiff. You know why? Cause you guys are trying to remove our commander in chief. Nobody likes that. Nobody appreciates it. Nobody will back you for it. I mean, I'll be surprised if Nancy Pelosi gets elected again. Very surprised. Um, it is, it is just incredible. I want you guys to listen to a clip from Fox. They've said that Pelosi defied Trump by leading a delegation on a surprise trip to Jordan. And then we'll talk about Jordan because that's very interesting. Good morning. Welcome back. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi defying President Trump, leading a bipartisan delegation on a surprise visit to U.S. allies in Afghanistan and Jordan. But does that kind of behind the back foreign policy help or hurt America on the world stage? Yeah, here to weigh in is Iraq war veteran and GOP strategist Chris Nywain. Chris, thanks so much for being here. Regardless of what you think about the president's decision, albeit a very controversial decision to withdraw troops from northern Syria, is it right for Nancy Pelosi to engage in this behind-the-back diplomacy on the world stage? 
Well, for her it is. I mean, her goal is to go over there to try to undermine the president, to try to figure out some way to come back and criticize him. She's over there with members of Congress that are trying to undermine his presidency. We've seen all the uh, the face flops they've had there. So if you're her, it is. I mean, they're trying to undermine undermine the president. That's their goal. I think Democrats at this point would rather uh, you know have China invade us than give the president credit for anything that he's doing over there. It's a political mission, and that's all it is. All right, so you say she's trying to undermine the president, but the House Speaker released a statement saying this. Meeting with and hearing directly from our troops and diplomats on the ground is essential for Congress to conduct effective oversight of our mission in Afghanistan. We will return to Washington strengthened with the facts and the firsthand knowledge we have gathered at this critical time for our nation's Afghan policy and inspired by the courage of our service members and diplomats on the front line. So she says that this is a fact-finding mission. Well, she can find facts in Washington, D.C. I mean, Congress's job is to oversee the de Defense Department. The Defense Department oversees the mission overseas. And, you know, I've served in the Middle East. Many people I've served with have had their legs blown off, have been blinded, that I've worked with personally. And many of the, the folks over there support the endless war-style foreign policy that has been influenced by a lot of special interests that when President Trump was elected, he was very free from. So, if anything, it's very ironic that, these are, that, that Speaker Pelosi, who's largely supported a lot of status quo-type things, is so hyper-interested. This is political. She's been trying to get out of the country to do this. She tried to do this before, and I don't think it's in the best interest of our, our foreign policy. I think it's in the best interest of Democrats that are trying to uh, take the, the heat off the disaster that's happening in their primaries right now. Chris, now that Nancy Pelosi and company have the facts that they so desperately desired and needed the trip over there to do it, do you see Congress doing anything substantive with what's going on there in northern Syria, or was this all just a show? All just a show and a boring one, I think. I think they're going to try to try to create some sort of talking points to go after the president or this is what's going on. But, you know, having served in the Middle East, it is ridiculous to think that they're going over there to try to figure out some way for us to stay longer and have these obtuse missions and put our troops in harm's way. Going over there on a CODEL or as a congressional trip, as they call it, in Washington lingo, is not national important or national security it's a it's a short vacation for these democrats okay so they are calling this a bipartisan congressional delegation even though there was only one outgoing republican going but there has been bipartisan outrage regarding the president's withdrawal of these troops in syria uh, given your background serving our country in the middle east do you think that that was the right move by the president yeah, Carly, I mean, I think the, the, the president's foreign policy is it's what he ran on, and it's what I think the voters want. I mean, there's one Republican over there interviewing for his next job in some defense agency making 300 grand. But, look, they're not the ones who've had their life in jeopardy. I think it's uh, the president has the, the Pentagon behind him. These are, these are very tough decisions, there's no doubt about it. But endless war is what we've had. President Trump was elected to do something different, and that's exactly what he's doing. All right, Chris, thank you so much. We appreciate that insight. Thanks, Carly. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? I think it's to undermine him, of course. But I think there's more. I want to know what they smuggled out or what they smuggled in and what they planned. Because it seems really curious that they would go now. Out of all times that they would go down. Uh, now, you know, uh, obviously uh, going into a hazard zone, <laughs> right? Uh, they may be entitled for hazard pay. But what we need to think about is the, is the why now. Remember, they tried to skip away in January. Do you guys remember that? 
that, you know, she was on the bus, all of them were on the bus, Schiff, all of them were on the bus, and they were, like, going to meet U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Okay? Do you remember that? And, he, and, and our president canceled the trip, and everyone's like, oh, it's because of the shutdown? Do you guys remember that? I remember that. I'm old enough to remember that. It just happened this January. So, you know... Obviously, being disallowed to travel uh, to certain places by the president has been done before. I mean, uh, even under the Barack Hussein Obama administration during his tenure, there were, um, you know, uh, denials uh, for CODO requests, you know, to actually travel out there um, uh, to war zones. So you have to think. Uh, was there a Codel in place for war zones? Why did they go? How did they go? I am very interested to see because congressional delegation, that's basically, you know, the Codel request has to be put in to go. So, um, you know, it has to go to the assistant secretary of defense and, you know, with very, very few exceptions, they have to sign off. And the president can always intervene if he, if he wants to. The question is, like, did they send that off? Did they actually ask permission to go to a war zone? Because, you know, they need airlift support. You have to ask for it. How did they travel there? Because the DOD, you know, receives this request for airlift support. And that has to be approved. So it's pretty incredible that she, you know just secretly went. So these requests, this request had to be received so they can have, you know, the aircraft in place. There's a whole process. There's an initial request. Um, and then it's forwarded to the DOD executive secretary for approval. So that is the question. Like when, when did they apply? How did they apply? Who did they, you know, put it through and how was it done? Because, uh, you know, they're going into the war zone, so it's not like you could go with anything. This is very curious because there is a procedure. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to take the plane. I don't know, people, <laughs> maybe people think that they just have, you know, these planes sitting there waiting to decide, does Schiff want to go somewhere? Uh, so there's got to be um, a national interest for it. They've got to be certified for it. Uh, you know, it's, there's a whole thing of organization, like when you put in to travel. Okay. There's a whole thing, guys. And, you know, obviously they should be flying commercial when they do these things too. Um, because, you know, if they, if commercial can't meet their needs, then is when they go to them. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy peasy. So that's, that's the thing. Like, how is this planned? Why was this planned? And why now? And so, you know, we have to remember that King Abdullah doesn't have uh, good relations with the Democrats. In fact, Barack Hussein Obama briefly met him. He, like, totally snubbed him. Because, you know, he didn't even want to see him, which is really weird. So he met with um, King Abdullah uh, at the Andrews Air Force Base back, I think it was like 2016, right? When he was sending that plane full of cash. Do you guys remember that? Around that time. And um, he was leaving for Nebraska. 
That's a question nobody asked. Why Nebraska? Why when he's sending a plane full of cash? Why would he snub the king of Jordan? These are all little things that nobody asks questions about. So Obama goes to Omaha, briefly meets with the king of Jordan, doesn't even give him the time of day. And when the king arrives to your nation, it's not like you didn't plan that stuff from like months ago. It's not like the king's like, yo, I'm hopping on a plane and I'm coming. It's planned. So either way, the king of Jordan actually met with John Kerry when he came and um, Ash Carter. So when he was here, those are the two people he met with. So for me, it was really interesting, right? Because, um, you know, Carter was like really appreciative. I totally remember him saying like, Jordan's contributions to regional counter, you know, Islamic state efforts are so good. Uh, look, King Abdullah stays out of it. King Abdullah, first of all, the second, which is who we have now, right, loves President Trump. He actually, um, when he was in D.C. for his trip, uh, he met with um, a Biden, too. He did not like Biden at all. Um, but, you know, King Abdullah in his nation has one concern and that's gangs. They have a really big problem with gangs like factions, uh, within Jordan. And that all stems from, you know, them being the port of entry and exit for Palestinians, you know, going in and out of, you know, that territory and also the, uh, issues that they have with Syria by them, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of, um, kind of odd. Now, the king of um, of Jordan actually released his own statement. He said um, that in Jordan he um, met with uh, the himself, the crown prince uh, Abdullah II. Um, they met with the delegation from U.S. Congress that was headed by uh, Nancy Pelosi on Saturday. Right, so they're working on Saturday. They're on overtime, and you have to ask yourself why. So this meeting, okay, he says, is part of ongoing outreach with U.S. Congress um, in a strategic partnership between Jordan and the United States, as well as regional developments. Now, at the meeting, um, Prince uh, al-Hussein was also attending this, and uh, King Abdullah actually appreciated that the U.S. was continuing to be, you know, with Jordan on a number of issues and totally love the position that U.S. Congress has towards the kingdom. It's kind of very, very, very political, isn't it? Anyway, so they were supposedly talking about Palestine, the Palestinian cause, and he said that there's got to be, uh, you know, some peace that needs to be created with the two-state solution uh, that guarantees independent Palestinian state um, uh, on the... Uh, June 4th, 1967 lines with East Jerusalem as its capital. So he's like, this is what needs to happen. And I understand it because everyone goes from Amman. You know, when you're a palace, when you're, when you want to go to Palestine, right? You're going to have to fly to either Israel and then go through the border or you're going to go to Amman and then take a 
cab or a car up to the border and then from the border take another car to drive you in. So this, you know, they have high traffic in Amman just with people leaving Palestine and, and you know, moving into Jordan or people leaving Jordan, uh, you know, landing in Jordan to then go to Palestine. It's um something that causes disruption along the King Abdullah Highway. It's the King's Highway that goes straight there. It's like an hour away from Amman. It's a pretty, it's, it reminds me of the road. <laughs> Like when you, <laughs> so it reminds me of driving from like North Dakota on the 94 going west toward Montana. So after you pass Bismarck, it's like the road is never ending and you feel your eyes going cross-eyed. But in the distance, you may see some little hills and mountains because, you know, you're coming into Montana. So tumbleweeds there, it's just really dry. Um but it causes a lot of disruption. I mean, it's it's not keeping the highway safe. A lot of people don't have a car. Many people walk there. So depending on the time of year and uh, the conflict and where it's at between um, Israel and the Palest- the Israelis and the Palestinians, you know, this causes stressors on Jordan themselves. Now, the king also said that he stressed that they need a political solution that ensures Syria's territorial integrity and the unity of its people while guaranteeing safe and voluntary return of refugees. So that was a very careful statement he put out. He wants safeguards for Syria's territorial integrity, meaning you do anything to take down Assad, we're going to have problems. And so apparently they talked about counterterrorism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Pelosi apparently and her delegation of Democrats, because Dingleberry, Thornberry, total Democrat, totally corrupt. That's why he's not running again. He's the He was the only Republican, and he's the one that's not running again. He doesn't care what he does. His career is over. So anyway, they all expressed to him, listen to this that they wanted to hear the king's perspective. Like, how does he think of things? What does he see on global developments? Um, saying that they'd want to um, be um, in Jordan when um, he celebrates his 20 years uh, since he's been appointed. Uh, sounds like, um, you know, they wanted to buy him, like, you know, be on our side. Tell us what you want. We'll see what we can do to make it happen. What can we do to make you happy so you could be with us? Now, King Abdullah loves President Trump. He does not speak bad of President Trump at all. He likes him because he loves the way he does business. So what are they after when they know that King Abdullah is... Total Trump, he likes him a lot. So what is he doing? Does he think that there's going to be a way that, uh, you know, uh, it's going to fix? I could tell you this. My sources told me that Pelosi and her delegation were trying to pressure the king to say that Syria, excuse me, bless me, um, the fact that President Trump pulled out of Syria uh, was a bad idea and he wouldn't do it. 
He was, they were trying to get him on the record to say that. This is just how low they'll go. See, a neighboring country says it's bad. They really tried to get him to say that. And, you know, she was like saying things like, it's a critical time for security and stability of the region. With uh, the crisis in Syria after Turkey's incursion, we have been engaging in vital discussions about impact and regional stability. But the thing is, King Abdullah is totally fine with it. He's on board and says, yeah, uh, you know, Syria crisis, we just need to make sure that Syria's territory is on point. They couldn't get him to say it is a problem. They couldn't get him to side with them. This is just what big losers they are. So since they failed with the Syrian thing to get the king of Jordan to side with them after browning their noses like, we want to be here when you celebrate 20 years. Pelosi, you'll probably be wearing orange. So will Schiff. Thornberry, your time is coming too. But think about it. They failed in Syria, so where do they go next? Afghanistan. See y'all in just a bit. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Sess Show. All right. So... We discussed their trip. We discussed the fact that it wasn't really bipartisan because Thornberry doesn't count as a Republican. He's just a throwaway because he's leaving. He announced that just uh, like what I think it was at the beginning of the month. So he doesn't even count. Okay, he doesn't even count as a Democrat. Let's be honest. So here's what, uh, you know, is coming up. So we've got Schiff. I want to play a quick clip from Fox in regards to Schiff, the way he's handling the impeachment probe and how um, they're backing the motion to censor Schiff, uh, which is why censor him, let him. We can get him in a lot of trouble. Take a listen. Chair facing growing criticism for his handling of the impeachment inquiry. So far, 173 Republicans are backing this movement to censure Schiff. Our next guest was the one to bring that motion forward and lead that charge. Congressman Andy Biggs, member of the House Judiciary Committee and chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. Congressman, Mr. Chairman, good morning to you and welcome to you. Thank you. Good morning, Sandra. So here we begin another week. Update us on where things stand this morning. Well, what you're going to see is tonight we're going to have this uh, the censure motion uh, go forward on a vote. Uh, then the rest of the week there's a number of hearings scheduled that are closed door. Uh, behind, you know, this, this continuation, this uh, Stalin-esque, Soviet-style uh, impeachment inquiry. And then uh, there'll be a break later in this week because of uh, uh, Representative Cummings' funeral. It's going to take place late in the week. So it's going to be a shortened week, but it's filled with closed-door hearings in the Intelligence Committee again. What is this move, this charge that you're leading now, 173 Republicans on board? What does it mean? What is the impact of it? Or is it largely symbolic? Well, it's two things. I mean, we want to make sure that the American people understand what Adam Schiff is doing is is not the normal way that you conduct an impeachment inquiry, if this were an impeachment inquiry. The second thing is it lets Mr. Schiff know himself how uh, disappointed we are. And thirdly, I would say it gives the Democrats an opportunity to show the American people where they are on due process. Uh, and and they get to they get to say, look, you know, we're we're perfectly content with closed door impeachment inquiry, or they get to say, you know, this isn't quite right. We want to do this the right way. So it's it's filled with 
uh, a lot of symbolism, but it's also got the, the harsh reality to it as well. We didn't see much of Adam Schiff over the weekend. I don't think he appeared on any of the Sunday shows. Um, I know I've asked you if you've been in touch and you have not heard from him. Uh, we dug back and this is an October 16th tweet. Uh, in which Adam Schiff... Guys, I don't understand. Like, why would she say that? He was gone this weekend. He was in Jordan and Afghanistan. So why would he appear on any television show if he's out? Are you seeing how fake news just, you know, um, either they're un, they're just misinformed. Like, this is their job. Why do I know this? And she sits at Fox, you know, with an entourage for makeup, which I totally love, by the way, and doesn't even know that he was out of the country. That makes absolutely no sense. Himself on his, uh, his own account said this. Here are the actual facts. Republican members and their counsel are present for all committee depositions and hearings and have the same opportunity to ask questions of all the witnesses as the majority. And rest assured, the public will learn the facts. Obviously responding to public criticism out there that this has not been a transparent process and that this impeachment process has been done in secret. To that, you say what? Well, normally, when you have a formal, if this were formalized, an impeachment inquiry, the president would have his counsel there. They'd be able to bring in witnesses. The, the minority, us, the Republicans, would be able to bring in witnesses. This would be open door and transparent. You could watch it real time. Part of what happens in, a, in this type of setting normally is, is the whole American people get to judge the veracity or credibility of witnesses. We're being denied all of that. We can't even get the transcripts. So when he says we're going to see it ultimately, uh, who's going to be the filter through which we see that? It's going to be Adam Schiff. And he's prevented me and he's prevented my, many of my colleagues who've asked for copies of transcripts. Uh, uh, and we, we just don't get them. And so what I'm, I would suggest to you, Sandra, is this is being uh, directed and, and put into, it's being channelized. He's being able to control everything about this instead of letting the American people see what's happening. Well, he wrote a letter to colleagues this past week. In it, he said this, the special counsels in the Nixon and Clinton impeachments conducted their investigations in private, and we must initially do the same. He's backing up his case that he's made on multiple occasions that in order to do what he and Democrats are trying to do here, they must do it in private. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's easy for him to say, but this thing has been going on for three and a half years, and he himself has basically um, tainted the well here because he's the guy who said for two years that there was absolute clear evidence of collusion, and then turns out that wasn't true, and then he's gone forward time after time with misleading statements right on up to that uh, that opening statement he gave in his own hearing. So it isn't that we, we view him as a, a fair arbiter. He's not a fair arbiter. And that's part of what this goes to. And that's part of why Adam Schiff is not being respected by uh, the majority here. So what happened in the, those previous two hearings, you actually had bipartisan support for a formal inquiry. That's not what you have here because they've never even taken the vote. And Adam Schiff is basically, like I say, he's kind of poisoned the well here. Okay, so he's right. That's basically what they did with, um, you know, Clinton. There were rape allegations. Let's get that straight. Rape allegations that then were switched over to lied because he had an affair with Monica Lewinsky, which I feel really bad for her. Like she was taken advantage of. She was raped. I mean, what kind of mistress holds on to a dress with sperm? Like that makes absolutely 
no sense. So, you know, it was not in secret. They took a vote and they did the, the whole investigation behind closed doors to figure out how they would impeach him if they would impeach him. There has been no vote. This is not an impeachment inquiry. This is not an impeachment investigation, anything like that. It's absolutely nothing. It's nonsense. It's a coup. And they know it's a coup and they don't care. And the longer we sit on our hands, the longer what? They just make fools of themselves because it's not going to get anywhere. But we're going to talk about the real fears here and where timelines can shift. There is a, a, a fork in the road and I saw that that fork just happened and, you know, I could have a TARDIS. I could be a time traveler, but I can tell you that it's mathematical accuracy and that variable that changed is huge. But let's just listen to his final thought on this. This is the most telling for me. Right. Uh, we have another big week coming up. We've put together the witnesses that will be called forward Tuesday. William Taylor, acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Some names we know, some names we don't. Wednesday, Philip Reeker, Laura Cooper, Thursday, Tim Morrison, Friday. It is going to be another week filled with witnesses that will be brought before these committees in this impeachment process. Final thoughts to you, Congressman, as we obviously wait the vote um, by you on that resolution tonight to censure Adam Schiff. And we begin another week of hearing from witnesses behind closed doors. Okay, before he gets to that, I want to read you the names of the people that are going to be there, okay? Give me a second. Let me pull them up. So it's going to be, to, to, so tomorrow, um, acting U.S. ambassador, so it's going to be William Taylor, right? We're going to have Philip Reeker. He was the acting assistant secretary of state for European and Eurasian affairs, meaning he was second to Victoria Newland. Michael Duffy, associate director of national security programs, the office of management and budget. Whoa. Deputy assistant of secretary of state, this chick named Laura Cooper, which I could swear I've seen her at that DSA stuff. I really think I've seen her on a video with like DSA stuff. Honestly, next it's Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vinman. He was the director for European affairs at the NSC. Ooh, and Tim Morrison, Senior Director for European and Russian Affairs on the NSC. Guys, this is going to be kind of lit, okay? Take a listen to his final thoughts here. This is interesting. Adam Schiff, and we begin another week of hearing from witnesses behind closed doors. Well, I think what's important for the American people to understand is you're going to see my motion will go straight up, but then the Democrats are going to run a... Uh, a basically procedural move to try to keep us from having a straight up vote but the so it's going to look a little upside down but a, a no vote means you want censure and a yes vote means you want to avoid having a vote on the censure that's what you'll see this evening congressman andy Beggs from arizona appreciate it thank you Congressman. all right Chef. sorry so that's basically what we're going to see this vote that says you know that we want to censure or not let's see how they're going to play that because that'll be very interesting to see now uh, going back to their secret visit, guys. So, obviously, they submitted the paperwork and somehow it was expedited without, uh, you know, uh, our uh, Pentagon chief, our head, Esper, you know, being down there. And so he intercepted them when they went to Afghanistan yesterday, which is a really big deal. 
you know, that's where he intercepted and he himself made an unexpected visit, right? Because we had Esper in um, Afghanistan too. Now, what's insane is, is that, you know, they're sitting there uh, to uh, have discussions with the Taliban, right? With the Taliban, um, which is a political party, as we know. But it's been recognized as a terrorist organization by the Supreme Court of Russia in 2003. Uh, remember how I told you that we had employed the Taliban to do a Russian jihad with the Chechnyans? Like, that's how we fueled it. This is where Osama bin Laden kind of came in, uh, you know, in the 80s to do this. So they were finally designated a terrorist organization, even though the Taliban, in actual fact, are a political party. Now, Mark Esper uh, arrived in Afghanistan um, as, um, you know, to meet with his contacts and to work with his contacts in regards to the Taliban, because we're still trying to figure out how we can get that resolved. Remember, I've told you what the whole problem is with the Taliban. They want to be a political party. They want to have a voice or else they're still going to be aggressive in Afghanistan. And Afghanistan is very, very important to the pharmaceutical industry right now. And so the fact that we have Pelosi uh, and Schiff and all these other clowns that are all Democrats, including Dingleberry, right? Thornberry doesn't count. Remember, he's leaving. He doesn't care. His career is over. The worst they could do is make him resign faster or leave faster or unseal an indictment faster. That's the only difference. He really doesn't care. This is a huge concern, guys, because the Taliban is a very sensitive situation. They want to be a an acknowledged political party in Afghanistan or else they're going to continue their wave of attacks, their waves of terrorism, and they're going to keep us there forever. So what they've asked was to have a headquarters. And guess what? The Afghanistan, the president of Afghanistan, Ghani, said, you can have one. Go ahead. You can have one, you know, wherever you want in Afghanistan. They said, no, we want to have our headquarters as a political party in Qatar. Qatar. What? Why would you have your headquarters there? It's like the DNC saying, yeah, we're a political party, but our headquarters offices are in the Ukraine, (laughs) which they could be, arguably, (laughs) with all the dealings that they've been having with them. So think about it. Why are they going there when there is such a sensitive issue between uh, the people themselves in Afghanistan and how we're trying to resolve it? President Trump tried to be a mediator, um, you know, at the end of August when, you know, there were secret meetings, right, in the Ukraine with Taylor and stuff and Schiff, right? Um, so we have to remember this is a huge uh, uh, you know, rent. Some people may argue it, that it's a violation of the uh, Logan Act. You know, this was clearly to undermine the president of the United States and should not go uh, unpunished per se. Right. Because I've never seen such audacity ever. I mean, you you meet with the president of Ghani. Where was your meeting with him? Like, how did you set it up? Who did you speak with? And I want to see pictures with the troops. I want to see the troops. Why is nobody, you know, Instagramming any pictures or Facebooking them? Because I've got a lot of friends and, you know, two messages that I got, (laughs) one that, you know, is there. I didn't know anything about her coming. 
So is that BS? Did they actually meet with people? Like, what is going on here? And, you know, Elliot Engel, the other guy on the signatory, you know, for those subpoenas, right? He's the other guy, right? Bernie Thompson was there, right? I want to know what they were doing. What, what, what business did they have there? What were they trying to figure out? I'll tell you what they were trying to figure out. You ready, you guys? So first of all, they went to Syria because they went to Jordan because they wanted to get the king of Jordan on the record saying that what Trump did in Syria was wrong and it's causing instability and he's, uh, you know, a threat to, to security globally, blah, 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 blah. Words that Pelosi was using and he wouldn't agree with. Second, they went to Afghanistan. You think it's to discuss how we can do this? And there's, it, it's three, it, they, they had three reasons for a fan. First one was to collect dirt on how President Trump communicated with the Afghan government to sort out the meeting at Camp David. What? Yes. Because remember how, uh, Schiff, his whole premise of trying to do deals, they want to see, did President Trump uh, you know, uh, tell you that he's going to give you money if you guys negotiate. Like, what did he tell you? What did he promise you? Is there quid pro quo? Quid pro quo, Nancy? Quid pro quo, Schiff? Are you kidding? He was the mediator. He's trying to get them to work on it so we could get out. Because if they can work on it, then we can leave. That's the way it is, because right now we have people that are getting attacked constantly in their own nation and they're scared in their own nation. So think about it. This is the this is the main reason they went there. Another one is obviously to ensure their investments are okay, because, you know, pharmaceutical companies have a great interest in poppy fields. So this is why they went there. Mistake. Nothing. This is why they went there. They wanted to see what is going on. Now, I want to play a clip that the president tweeted by Steve Hilton, who I like. He's really, I can't believe he's on Fox, that he's still on Fox. Take a listen. In cash for gas corruption scandal, the president's move to get out of the Middle East wars, and much more. With me here in Los Angeles, Tammy Bruce, Steve Moore, and Kira Davis. And joining from New York, it's Greg Jarrett. All right, there they are, and here we go. From the beginning, it was obvious that for the Democrats, impeachment is partisan politics dressed up as principle. Nancy Pelosi told us that herself the day she kicked off the process. What's more serious is that he can't win. But this week, another aspect was revealed, and it shows us what the stakes are in this fight. Day after day on Capitol Hill, we saw a parade of bureaucrats stepping out of the shadows to attack President Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we present to you Trump Wars, the system strikes back. The establishment state media, of course, couldn't stop fawning over these saintly servants of the people. Career diplomats are showing up, helping shape a better understanding of the president's Ukraine scandal. The others are career ambassadors, Mike McKinley, 37 years, veteran. You have career diplomats and others stepping forward to tell the truth. I mean, what, what you're seeing here is you're seeing career civil servants um, whose loyalty is to the institution, to democracy. 
Mm. No, it's not. <laughs> their loyalty is to their bureaucratic establishment agenda. I've seen this firsthand. The idea that career civil servants are high-minded, politically neutral oracles of wisdom is a joke. They think Trump is deplorable. They think you're deplorable. And they think any challenge to their globalist establishment ideology is deplorable. From day one, the career civil servants have mocked, blocked and plotted against this president. This week, they went after EU ambassador Gordon Sondland because he was reportedly rude to the Europeans over trade. Mike Pompeo's former aide bleated about the utilization of our ambassadors overseas to advance a domestic political objective. Uh, yes, that's how it's supposed to work. The elected politicians are supposed to be in charge, not the unaccountable bureaucrats. And of course, the swamp is defending its own, in this case, Swamp King Joe Biden, by arguing that overseas corruption by Democrats shouldn't be investigated. Here's former NATO ambassador Nicholas Burns. We've never had a president in the whole history of the United States going back to 1789 who invited one of our strongest adversaries, in this case China, to intervene and interfere in our election. He should be impeached by the House. There should be an inquiry by the Democrats and the Republicans. I don't think he's fit for office based on what he said on China and also on Ukraine. Oh, for goodness sake, I don't recall him and the rest of the arrogant ruling class giving a monkeys about foreign interference when it's establishment candidates like Hillary Clinton doing it, or when they themselves do it, leaving the public sector to work for lobbyists for foreign companies and foreign governments, like James Mattis has just done. My God, James Mattis preening in his penguin suit this week, basking in the approval of the ruling class while he cashes in on his public service by selling out America, working for a swamp lobbyist that boasts about shipping American manufacturing overseas and selling American defense companies to the highest foreign bidder. So yes, after this week, we can now see the full picture on impeachment. For the Democrats, partisan politics. For the ruling class, overturning the populist revolution. They must not win. All right, here to discuss all that and more, Red State Editor-at-Large, Kira Davis. Former Trump Senior Economic Advisor and Heritage Foundation Distinguished Visiting Fellow, Steve Moore. And Fox News contributor and the president of Independent Women's Voice, Tammy Bruce. Tammy, you're Steve. <laughs> uh, great, great monologue. And I think that this is kind of the bluntness that reminds people Pay about attention the here, so real agenda that's been going on. You know, we on. hear about the deep state. We mm -hmm. hear about uh, the the establishment. That's it. It's it's funny how, and we even heard uh, when it comes to certain ambassadors and others being shocked uh, that you know Trump would actually be leading foreign policy, not listening to or allowing right. you know the the State Department or bureaucrats to do it, which is quote their job. No, it's it's not. Their job is to implement yes. the agenda of the president. Uh, that, but it shows you this is another thing that's now been exposed simply by the existence of President Trump, is that this establishment not only believes that they're the ones in charge, but that they have been. Mm -hmm. That presidents have been as seat warmers. Be. It's not a paranoia. That's the thing. I mean, and, and that is key. So there's this is this is the part that I wanted to get to, but I couldn't fast forward because I'm using it from the president's Twitter feed. Uh, but that's the thing. This is all about control. At this point in time, they have lost complete control of the nation complete they've lost everything 
They have no idea, no idea just how woke we are. Because what President Trump did was he showed the world, because he had money, that anybody can be president as long as they understand how to transact business, how to make a deal. You can be a shoe salesman like Al Bundy. If you know how to do a deal, you've got the skills. And you know what? Laura Loomer's the next threat. Because it's going to show that people that stand for something, that stand for the voices of people, right, are now going in to be in control. Because, you know, yesterday I was having a conversation and last night and it was like, it seems like every single politician is either a lawyer or a banker, right? Usually lawyers. They run us. They rule us. We're not ruling. They are ruling we are giving them like a blank check to do whatever they want. And right now, this trip was to undermine, but I'm telling you, it was to dig up dirt. They were trying to find anything they could to find out about the discussions that occurred with the Afghanis, these connections they had with the Afghanis prior to the setting up of that meeting at Camp David. And you know what they're really upset about? Is the fact that the president had you know, canceled the meeting or, you know, and what was the reason? And that was the deal. They went there to find dirt because they know they've got no quid pro quo. But if they can demonstrate that he's done something like this again, then they could say, well, you know, kind of seems like we can't prove it that it's quid pro quo because they're all colluding together. But look, he did it in Afghanistan. And it's like, this is how desperate they are. This is why they went there. They tried to get King Abdullah on the record to say that what President Trump did in Syria was wrong. And then they went to Afghanistan to dig dirt up so that they can attack the president once again and figure out what was your meeting? How come we didn't know that the Taliban and the president of Afghanistan were coming to Camp David? How did we not know this? What did you guys discuss? What was the deal? What did he promise? And thank goodness... Someone at the Pentagon spoke because now someone's in a lot of trouble in the Pentagon because I want to see the process. I'm going to be filing a FOIA request to see the process of them filing, you know, the CODIS, filing it, the, the CODAL. So that way I can see when did they submit it, how did they submit it, and who authorized their transport. Because obviously Mark Esper didn't know before the fact. He knew after the fact when his own sources in Jordan said Pelosi Schiff and all these other clowns are here. King Abdullah probably texted President Trump and said, yo, why are these clowns here? They're trying to make me say what you did in Syria was wrong. I'll see you guys shortly right after this break. real news welcome everyone welcome back to the tory says show again i'm your host tory so today um you know we've been discussing the secret trip of pelosi which happened while her brother passed away and you know that was really weird how she passed away but i want you guys to know that there's documents that the fbi has released that are very very old it was J. Edgar Hoover 
who had mentioned how Thomas D'Alessandro, daddy, is involved and being investigated, you know, is involved in mafia concerns. Uh, concerns with connection to the Communist Party Front's organization of the 40s. And it was pursuant to Executive Order 10450. I urge you guys to go see it. It is a letter from um, uh, a memo, actually, uh, from January 27, 1961. I want you guys to listen to what J. Edgar Hoover had to say about Pelosi and her ties to communism. It provides a clue. According to documents dating back to 1947, then-FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover suspected Pelosi's father, also a prominent figure in the Democrat Party, of ties to the Mafia. Without law and order, society will destroy itself. Pelosi's father, Thomas D'Alessandro Jr., was a Democrat congressman from Maryland between 1939 and 1947, and the mayor of Baltimore from 1947 to 59. He drew the attention of the FBI in the mid-40s when the Bureau was investigating one of Baltimore's top mafia bosses, Benjamin Magliano, also known as Benny Trotter. The Bureau found Magliano was frequently accompanied by D'Alessandro, whose daughter Nancy was seven years old at the time. She'll cut your head off and you won't even know you're bleeding. That is who Pelosi is. So when we're talking about thugs, when we're talking about nefarious, nasty people, this is what you have to remember. They will cut your head off before you know it's bleeding. But you know, that used to be the case when we were not woke, when we had no idea what's going on, when we didn't understand what is happening. But now we do. Now we understand. Now we see for what it is. And what we need to do is revisit a president that was a seat warmer after he was shot, but that said what needed to be said about this evil empire. I want you guys to remember history because history tells us so much. And it makes sense once you understand history, once you under, once you see the underlings, like what's going in the background, what has happened, what has created. Take a listen to what this great president had told us once. Thank you very much. I, a number of years ago, I heard a young father, a very prominent young man in the entertainment world, addressing a tremendous gathering in California. It was during the time of the Cold War, and communism and our own way of life were very much on people's minds, and he was speaking to that subject. And suddenly, though, I heard him saying, I love my little girls more than anything, and I said to myself, oh, no, don't, you can't, don't say that. But I had underestimated him. He went on, I would rather see my little girls die now still believing in God than have them grow up under communism and one day die no longer believing in God. There were, there were thousands of young people in that audience. They came to their feet with shouts of joy they had instantly recognized the profound truth 
in what he had said with regard to the physical and the soul and what was truly important. Yes, let us pray for the salvation of all of those who live in that totalitarian darkness. Pray they will discover the joy of knowing God. But until they do, let us be aware that while they preach the supremacy of the state, declare its omnipotence over individual man and predict its eventual domination of all peoples on the earth, they are the focus of evil in the modern world. It was C.S. Lewis who in his unforgettable screw tape letters wrote, The greatest evil is not done now in those sordid dens of crime that Dickens loved to paint. It is not even done in concentration camps and labor camps. In those we see its final result. But it is conceived and ordered, moved, seconded, carried and minuted, in clear, carpeted, warmed, and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voice. Well, because these quiet men do not raise their voices, because they sometimes speak in soothing tones of brotherhood and peace, because like other dictators before them, they're always making their final territorial demand, some would have us accept them at their word and accommodate ourselves to their aggressive impulses. But if history teaches anything, it teaches that simple-minded appeasement or wishful thinking about our adversaries is folly. It means the betrayal of our past, the squandering of our freedom. So I urge you to speak out against those who would place the United States in a position of military and moral inferiority. And this is exactly where we are today. We are in military and moral inferiority. We have a party of communists, secret communists, a, pow- a party of nefarious individuals that seek nothing but to enslave every man, woman, and child. And no matter how funny you thought what Clinton tweeted out, I'm going to give you the eerie reality of it coupled with the change of venue so you can understand just how big of a deal this is. You know, I've always believed that old screw tape reserved his best efforts for those of you in the church. So in your discussions of the nuclear freeze proposals, I urge you to beware the temptation of pride, the temptation of blithely uh, declaring yourselves above it all and label both sides equally at fault, to ignore the facts of history and the aggressive impulses of an evil empire, to simply call the arms race a giant misunderstanding and thereby remove yourself from the struggle between right and wrong and good and evil. So let me tell you, here's where I'm pulling out my crystal ball. In a timeline that we held the G7 at the Doral, we triumphant. We are very triumphant. We win. Though a change has happened. And that change is that they forced even though it was more economically sound and more reasonable because it had all these places where you can place all these people with these delegations coming in, right? They wanted to change the venue. See, I'll tell you one thing. We all know this. President Trump is a builder. He built every single one of his properties. He knows where every single nook and cranny is, where every wall is, where every false wall is, where every bathroom is, 
where every room laid out in Faraday is, you know, he knows everything. He's safe on his own properties because he knows them. And he knows just where things need to be, where they can be. And he knows that the staff that is there has been extremely loyal to him all these years for working with him. And so he did it at cost. Let me not say even less than cost. And they demanded he change his venue because they need him to be vulnerable. Now let's couple that with the tweet that Hillary Clinton sent out and people are laughing about it. They're completely laughing about it. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. You know, that, um, you know, she sent that out. It's so hilarious. It's not. It's terrifying. It's terrifying because of who she created that simile with. It's terrifying because it tells you exactly where they're at. How many references to JFK have you heard lately? How many? And how did the things turn out for JFK, guys? So Hillary Clinton pulls out a fake letter by JFK to Premier Khrushchev. Don't be a dick, okay? Get your missiles out of Cuba. Everybody will say, yay, Khrushchev, you're the best. But if you don't, everybody will be like, what an asshole, and call you garbage country, the Soviet bunion. You're really busting my nuts here. Give you a jingle later. Hugs. John Fitzgerald Kennedy. She tweeted that out as a joke in comparison to the letter our president sent to Erdogan, right? She sent that as a joke, right, to mock the letter our president sent to Erdogan, which said, and I and I quote, and I read it to you, basically. Dear Mr. President, let's work out a good deal. You don't want to be responsible for the slaughtering of thousands of people, and I don't want to be responsible for destroying the Turkish economy. And I will. I've already given you a little sample with respect to Pastor Brunson. Now, I have worked hard to solve some of your problems. Don't let the world down. You can make a great deal. General Muslim is willing to negotiate with you and he is willing to make concessions and they would never have that they would never had made in the past. I am confidentially enclosing a copy of his letter to me just received. History will look upon you favorably if you get this done the right and humane way. It will look at you uh, it will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. I will call you later. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump. Guys, listen. When you see someone like Hillary Clinton pulling out a letter trying to create a simile between our president and JFK, it is everything you need to know. That was a threat. For me, if I was you know, to protect an asset and my asset be the president... I would consider that a threat. Coupled with the fact that they made him change a venue that he knows like the back of his hand. And you know what? He knows that. Because where did he say he was going to have it? Camp David. Iron Fort, right? So this is where we're at. And I believe, now I told you why they went to Afghanistan, right? 
I told you two of the reason I didn't tell you the third one in the first hour. Right? So here's where this one gets in. So first reason was to see if there was any dirt or quid pro quo or any promises the president made to the president of Afghanistan, Ghani, and the Taliban to negotiate this arbitration between them. That's number one. Number two is to inspect the poppy fields for those that line their pockets. You know, pharmaceutical companies have a lot in poppy. Oxy medicines, right? You know that. Number three is to find their people that make their Afghanistan network work. This is logistics. And to find where they can find to penetrate Camp David. I'm telling you this as a third. This is exactly why they were so adamant to go there in the first place in January. When you are able to have someone under your thumb, how do you do that? If you don't know, it's not like they know the grunts or the, you know, corporals or, you know, the privates or, you know, the sergeant staff sergeants that are at Camp David. It's not like they know them. We already know that the CIA is pretty much excluded from almost everything, including the FBI. So what's the next best thing? You go to the generals, you go to the leaders, you go to the officers in Afghanistan that keep your pockets full. The ones that are compliant, the ones that execute operations, the ones that have direct communication with you. This is why it was very important that Asper's there. It was very interesting. So what you need to understand is you go to the top guy to find the bottom guy that you can manipulate to do what you want. This is a very dangerous time because they have no cards. They're literally sitting, you know, if you were, if you're a poker player, there's a jack, a queen and a king on the table. And all they have is a two and a seven of a different suit. They got nothing and they're going all in because they can't go back. You know, they have weaponized our media, you guys, weaponized it. They keep saying impeachment inquiry, impeachment. There isn't an impeachment inquiry until you have a vote. I mean, geez, how many times do we have to repeat that? How many times does it have to be repeated that there is no impeachment inquiry because there is no vote? That is a huge issue. So what is going to happen this week? Super huge stuff is coming in. I think today we're going to get one of them. I think today. Now, speaking of Hillary Clinton and her threats, Tulsi Gabbard. So everyone's like, oh, yay, Tulsi. It's like, man, these people are idiots. Let me tell you something about Tulsi. So Kristen Gillibrand, you know, daddy who was part of Nixium, you know, all in the pedophilia, sends an email to John Podesta to advise him that Tulsi Gabbard, um, you know, is running and, you know, she's going for Congress and, you know, she's finally like getting through and she needs help you know, to get elected in Hawaii, which is a big deal. She points that she's a decorated veteran of two voluntary deployments to the Middle East. 
She served in the legislature of Hawaii and uh, founded an environmental nonprofit and ran two family businesses. She says to John Podesta, she will make her marking card. Now, this coming from Gillibrand, you know, it's all in the family, right? That's the way it is. So she sent that out to John Podesta. And then she emails him again, okay? She emails him again. So that email she sent to him on the 5th of August. And then on the 12th of August, she says, We just learned that Tulsi Gabbard won her election in Hawaii. This was a huge come-from-behind grassroots upset. And we know she has what it takes to beat her Republican challenger in November. Because of supporters like you, we're one step closer. You know, Tulsi embodies the best off the sidelines. Thank you so much for helping her. And she sent that from her iPhone. Okay. We're one step closer to sending yet another strong progressive woman with an independent voice to Congress. She is the person you put in there to sideline things. So here's the thing. Everyone's like, okay, she's a veteran. She speaks. But the thing is, she has a very confusing message. She's conservative and liberal with conflicting ideologies constantly. She flip-flops. But one thing's for sure. Your center-left and your, like, just-leaning-left people loathe Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and the whole establishment. So seeing a voice like Tulsi who whiplashes back at Hillary Clinton makes them like her more. And here's what happens. When she falls out and doesn't make it to the final debate, right, What they're going to do is they're going to spin her off as a third one so that she could pull votes from both Democrat and Republicans. The Democrats already know they lost. They have absolutely zero money. They're in a deficit right now, and they can't raise diddly squat. We've got eyes everywhere. I mean, we're still auditing their Mexican fundraiser, and boy, is that going to be fun to watch. They know in regards to elections, they're screwed. We've taken over 2 million people off the voter roll that shouldn't have been on there in the first place. Isn't that how much they say that Hillary Clinton won by, right? And that's only scratching the surface. We are removing corrupt people that corrupt votes. We are changing the way votes are happening in every state so they are legit and accounted for and there is a chain of, you know, custody. This They know they lost. So they're going all out. Hillary just hinted to you how. So they're going to try to attack it on every single angle they can. They are completely desperate, you guys. Completely desperate. They have nowhere to turn. They have no money. They don't know what they're doing. And, you know, bottom line is it's, it's it's pretty telling. How's this? Hillary Clinton, she comes up every now and then and talks smack, right? Complete smack. And she tweeted out, what was it, that she wanted to be an astronaut and they told her they're not taking little girls and it's so bad and, you know, whatever, (laughs) this is a problem, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's a pity. Could have just left her there, but, you know, maybe aliens would come and attack us. Why'd you send her? Why'd you send her out there? Now, It's very curious that our government conducted an audit of NASA. Just so happened. And so this was 
really weirdly timed. I mean, they always do audits, but it was really weirdly timed. And they were supposed to assess the effectiveness of the way NASA's managed, uh, the way they conduct their security operations, physical security, law enforcement, you know, sur- you know, fire services, stuff like that. And they looked at the organizational structure of the agency, uh, how they make decisions, how the authority is distributed, how they operate, funding, contract oversight, you know, how you um, hand out uh, contracts, you know, vendors, how do you hire them. And so they spoke with, um, you know, emergency management staff, protective services, fire services, and they visited some location that's redacted, by the way, on the reports, <laughs> tells you everything we need to know. But here's the thing. They found that security and policy oversight um, uh, was a responsibility of center leadership first. They made that note. So um, they found that day-to-day operational responsibility um, uh, for protective services across the agency was part of a specific authority, the same one, the OPS authority. But then they found that in August of 2019, they changed their plans to centralize the management of the physical security portion, um, you know, to, how would you say, it muddled the waters for the audit because they couldn't determine, you know, what this change, you know, in security management is doing. It was kind of done at the time that they were doing the management, so they couldn't really give a decision. But they did find that managers at redacted centers that they visited made security staffing and infrastructure protection decisions based primarily on current and projected budget allocations rather than critical security threats and approach. So basically they would be like, all right, we got $10. What can we do with it? Rather than say, all right, these are the threats. These are the risks. This is what we need. Our budget doesn't fit it. What do we do? Let's address this. So they were going by it, you know, the Obama way, which is, this is what we got. We got to make it work. And that is a problem because we need to reinforce uh, security and risks that we may have. So that was something uh, that was uh, a detriment. They also found that the operational structure for the OPS was inconsistent in application for security practices across the redacted centers. So federal arrest authorities, legislative jurisdiction, firearms, fire services, all that completely inconsistent. And those centers, redacted centers, with tenant populations that have people living in them, think about it, listen to what I'm saying, tenant populations um, have started to increase the workload on people because they don't have funding to have services that are provided to the tenants. So if they have doctors and they have tenants, okay, they don't have enough doctors for the tenants, so the doctors are overworking to help with these tenants and personnel demands are necessitated by the tenants' use of NASA's properties. Are you... Okay, so tenants is very widely used. I just want you to sit on that for a second because Hillary Clinton threw that out and that is um, something very interesting. Okay, just let's just say that something very interesting. Nothing is a coincidence. This was extremely interesting because it focused on the tenants.
And tenants could be another country, could be people, could be not, you know. So this is a big deal. Uh, so this report came out, I think it was yesterday or today. Um, so that's, that's pretty, pretty shocking, right guys? So right after this short break, we're continu- we're going to continue on what we're going to be seeing this week and next week. Things are really heating up right now. Okay, did you guys hear that heavy breathing? Listen. Okay, and I'm going to tweet out what we just saw, what I just saw. So, looks like Julian Assange is on the move. He was being transported. That was the heavy breathing of a journalist that caught him. Uh, and he looks really good. He looks really good. Um, so, I'm going to send you a picture of um it's going to be on twitter if you're not following me it's at tori underscore says that's t-o-r-e underscore says um julian assange is on the move wow we're pulling that card (laughs) this is going to be very very interesting um and thank god he's safe uh he looks a little bit tired but he looks pretty pretty okay Um, and he looks well dressed, so it's not like he's going to the doctor or anything like that where they're moving him along. So that is super interesting. I just thought I'd let you know that. So you know that things are happening. And speaking of England, how I found this, Berko blocked the Brexit vote today. They blocked the Brexit vote today, which is kind of a good thing because I'm hoping that there's a no deal. I mean, they're really dragging their feet and I'm loving this because this gives us more leverage with the IG report. Because remember, this Brexit is rubbish. They still own them. Take a listen. Last at column 658, the leader of the House rose on a point of order to announce the government's intention to bring forward a motion today under Section 13.1b of the European Union Withdrawal Act 2018. Unfortunately, the point of order did not prove to be a prelude to an emergency business statement on which colleagues could question, probe and scrutinise the leader. Rather, for approximately an hour, 30 points of order were raised by no fewer than 24 colleagues with me expressing disquiet and consternation that the government intended to require the House to consider again on Monday the same matter which it had decided 48 hours earlier on the immediately preceding sitting day. It was my privilege to listen and respond to the views of colleagues. Now, I just want to tell you. So, um, Burkow actually, um, the speaker, John Burkow, blocked Boris Johnson's ability to hold a Brexit vote today. And here's the weird thing. So leftist mainstream media, The Sun, says, ooh, this was a last, listen to this, last ditch effort to attempt to ruin our EU exit. I thought you were all about Remain. What happened? You like the New Deal? Is that it? 
you, you get it, guys? This is what's happening. This is where up is down, down is up, and they're constantly and confusing people, constantly. Now, there's a White House cabinet meeting right now that I want us to tune into because uh, it'll be super interesting for everyone to listen to what our president has to say. Uh, oh, and Pence is at the NASA Space Summit. How coincidental after um, <laughs> after this report came out. For our tenants. Hmm. It's very interesting. All right. Let's listen to the president and what he has to say. 19-year mission of the International Space Station. And just last month, Australia announced a historic $150 million investment in the burgeoning space industry in their country, including through support of NASA's Artemis Lunar Program and our future mission to Mars. Canada has already agreed to support development of the Lunar Gateway, a critical outpost and refueling station that will help us develop technologies, test the systems, and train the astronauts for the first ever crewed mission to Mars. And just last week, Prime Minister Abe announced Japan's intention to join our efforts both in the Lunar Gateway and on the lunar surface. Japan has been a vital partner of the international space. There we go. Good relationship with the Kurds. But we never agreed to, you know, protect the Kurds. We fought with them for three and a half to four years. We never agreed to protect the Kurds for the rest of their lives. Remember this. When Iraq was fighting the Kurds, everybody thought we were going to fight with the Kurds. I said, well, it's a little strange that we're fighting with the Kurds when we just spent $4 trillion on Iraq. And now we're going to be fighting Iraq. So what I did is I said, we're not going to take a position. Let them fight themselves. I thought the Kurds would do very well. Everyone said, oh, the Kurds will do very well. Well, Iraq moved in and the Kurds left. They didn't fight because they didn't have us to fight with. A lot of people are good when they fight with us. You know, when you have $10 billion worth of airplanes shooting 10 miles in front of your line, it's, it's much easier to fight. But with that, they were a good help. But we were a great help to them, too. They were fighting ISIS. You know, they hated ISIS. So they were fighting ISIS. But we never agreed. Where is an agreement that said we have to stay in the Middle East for the rest of humanity, for the rest of, of uh, civilization to protect? The Kurds had never said that. And we have protected them. We've taken very good care of them. And I hope they're going to watch over ISIS because that's, again, most of it's not in the safe zone, as we call it. Some places called demilitarized zone. In the old days, we'd call areas like this a demilitarized zone. Uh, and our relationship with the Kurds is good, and they're going to be safe. And I will say this. If shooting didn't start for a couple of days, I don't think the Kurds would have moved. I don't think, frankly, you would have been able to make a very easy deal with Turkey. I think when it started for a few days, it was so nasty that when we went to Turkey and when we went to the Kurds, they agreed to do things that they never would have done before the shooting started. Uh, if they didn't go through two and a half days of hell, I don't think they would have done it. I think you couldn't have made a deal. And people have been trying to make this deal for years. But we're close to making it. We'll see what happens. Again, they've been fighting for 300 years that we know of. 300 years. So why should we put our soldiers in the midst of two large groups, hundreds of thousands potentially of people, that are fighting. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yes, Steve. Republicans need to get tougher and fight. What are you talking about? Well, I think the Democrats fight dirty. 
I think the Democrats are lousy politicians with lousy policy. They want open borders. They don't care about crime. They want sanctuary cities. Uh, they don't care about drugs. They don't care about almost anything. They don't care about USMCA. How about that? I think they're lousy politicians. But two things they have. They're vicious and they stick together. They don't have Mitt Romney in their midst. They don't have people like that. They stick together. You never see them break off. You never see somebody go out and... That's why I respected so much what I watched with Will Hurd today. Because he was one of the few that didn't seem to be there. And yet he made a statement. He said, well, I haven't seen any complaints whatsoever from the Ukrainians. I mean, the Ukrainians didn't complain. And they didn't tell any of our ambassadors. This thing is all about a letter that was perfect. You never hear the letter anymore. It was all about whistleblowers. You never hear what happened to the whistleblower. They're gone because they've been discredited. What happened to the informant? And that's why, guys, they went where? That's why they went, say it, to Afghanistan. Because that is exactly what they wanted to put forward. Demonstrating that this has happened again. Demonstrating that he does this, that he holds money and it's quid pro quo, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting the way things are panning out for these guys. Think about it. They went on a desperate attempt to find dirt from the Afghanis. And I don't think the Afghanis are going to give it, even though they didn't see eye to eye and the president. But they thought, we're going to go to the people that don't like him right now because two months ago he failed to negotiate. So we're going to go there and we're going to get stuff done. That is what they said to themselves. That is why they went to Afghanistan. That is why they went to Jordan. Now in Afghanistan, I got that confirmed from my Taliban sources that that is exactly the questions they were asked. They were asked if he tried to use any leverage, you know, and if um, any discussions were being held uh, that may be inappropriate. That is exactly what they talked about. Take a listen how the president tells you some things. And where is the IG? Why did the IG read the letter, read the transcript? He could have gotten it, I guess, I assume. I would have declassified it for him if I had to do that. Why didn't he read this and then see that the whistleblower's account was totally different than the letter? Then he would have said, oh, there's no problem here. The whistleblower gave a false account. Now you have to say, well, do we have to protect somebody that gave a false account? You know, these whistleblowers, they have them like they're angels, okay? So do we have to protect somebody that gave a totally false account of my conversation? I don't know. You tell me. Do we have to protect the informant? Now, I happen to think there probably wasn't an informant. You know, the informant went to the whistleblower. The whistleblower had second and third hand information. You remember that. That was a big problem. But the information was wrong. So was there actually an informant? Maybe the informant was Schiff. It could be Shifty Schiff. In my opinion, it's possibly Schiff. Why didn't Schiff say that he and his staff or his staff or a whole group, why didn't he say that he met with the whistleblower? He knew all about the whistleblower. Why didn't he say? He's a crooked politician. Very bad for our country. This whole thing is very bad for our country. In the midst of that, I'm trying to get out of wars. And we may have to get in wars, too. Okay? We may have to get in wars. We're better prepared than we've ever been. If Iran does something... They'll be hit like they've never been hit before. I mean, did you hear him? We might get in wars. What did I tell you? Remember, 
Israel got their borders after World War II. Kurdistan will get their borders after World War III. I've said this almost a year ago. Okay? We know exactly what we're doing. We know exactly what needs to be done. And you know, someone sent me an article the other day saying, oh, China just opened up their new railway with Kenya. <laughs> but you, my listeners, already knew that, didn't you? All of you knew that we're preparing for war, and this is why we're going head first. This is why we fortified our Mediterranean presence and our mutual defense agreements. This is why we put everyone in place. The Democrats are desperate. This is the president of peace. They can't impeach him. They can't. The people will not allow it. Now, I know they're talking about Mitt Romney, having a Mitt Romney in their midst. He was never a Republican. Hoven was never ever a Republican. Thornberry was never a Republican. These were just pretenders. And like he said, they do stick together. It's more of a gang than it is a public service, you know, position for them. They join the gang. I mean, we had Heidi Heidkamp, guys. I kid you not. She, let me find the clip. It's disgusting. She literally said that, you know, something made some kind of mention of hanging the president on NBC. Like this woman is absolutely insane. This is where we're at. This pure insanity because they are, they lost. And they know that the previous presidency will be undone. You know, uh, you know, Alex Soros, George Soros' son, he's holding a fundraiser, you guys. I'm, I'm telling you this. And, um, I know because I get a lot of these uh, alerts. So we know that he's going to be at Alex Soros' house for a fundraiser. Obama is. I expect everyone out there around the area to try to get some form of pictures. I want you guys to listen to Heidi Heidkamp. Listen to what she said when she says they want to impeach him and hang him from the highest tree. Could you imagine if any conservative said that? Listen. It's a third, a third, a third. A third. Oh, gosh. Hate it when notifications do that. Hang him from the highest tree and a third. It's a third, a third, a third. A third thinks this is nonsense. It's all out to get the president. A third say, hang him from the highest tree and a third say, we're waiting. It's a third, a third. Oh my gosh. Could you guys believe that? That she said, hang him from the highest tree? When I tell you it's dangerous, it's dangerous, you guys. They are pulling all stops. Your president is telling you exactly what you need to hear. Listen. We have things that we're looking at. But can you imagine? I have to fight off these these lowlifes. At the same time, I'm negotiating these very important things that should have been done during Obama and Bush and even before that. All right? So that's where we are right now. Actually, very few. Go ahead, please. Mr. President, well, they're going to be sent initially to different parts, uh, get prepared, then ultimately we're bringing them home. Yeah. We're bringing our troops back home. I got elected on bringing our soldiers back home. Now, it's not very popular. I'm going to tell you what we're doing in Iraq. So borders for Kurdistan are that northeastern part of Syria. We've got the northeastern part of uh, Iraq. We've got portions of Iran and portions of Turkey. Get it? So we're sending them there. Because since Obama created Iraq, what is today's Iraq is what Obama created. We are installing the right people and having them 
give away for the borders. This is the deal. The last frontier is going to be Iran after Turkey's done with. Okay? And that's if Turkey decides that it wants to play that card and repeat history. Now, I'm just going to play a couple more minutes of what he has to say on this because I want to draw your attention to political prisoners. I just want to introduce it because this is really, really important. All of us should be talking about it. Take a listen to what the president says, and we'll discuss that right after this. Within the beltway, because, you know, Lockheed doesn't like it, and these great military companies don't like it. It's not very popular. And outside the beltway, my largest cheer in Dallas, I had 25,000 people close in that arena, a record crowd. I had so many people outside of the arena, thousands. My largest cheer that night was two things. We're building the wall. That's number one. And number two, and probably tied for number one, was we're bringing our soldiers back home. That was our largest cheer in Dallas. Great place. Great state, Texas. Tough state. They're, they're tough. When I said we're bringing our soldiers back home, the place went crazy. But within the Beltway, you know, people don't like it. It's much tougher for me. It'd be much easier for me to let our soldiers be there, let them continue to die. I go out to Dover and I have to, I, I meet parents. It's not a pleasant thing. It's the most unpleasant thing I do. Most unpleasant thing I do. When I see that big cargo plane open and I see those coffins get rolled off, or when I go over to Walter Reed Hospital where the doctors are incredible, by the way, saving people that could have never been saved even five years ago. You know that. Uh, but those people are horribly wounded, horribly, horribly wounded. Wounded warriors. Uh, it's the toughest thing I do. Toughest thing is sending letters. I send many letters home to parents, and I speak to parents. But I send many letters home to parents here. Their son or daughter has been killed over in the Middle East. For what? For what? There are times to fight, and there are times not to fight. There are times to be smart. We have tremendous economic power, and we're using our economic power much more powerful in certain ways than playing with, with guns. And much better for our country, and much better for everybody, and actually much better for humanity, okay? Just, I want you guys to understand his position. You know, I'm going to use these last seven minutes so we could talk about this quickly. Think about our president's position right now. He is trying to formulate a way to keep the peace per se, right? He's trying to formulate a way to ensure that not just us, but people across the globe have the ability to take back their nations, take back their countries, take back their heart, their soul, and put it forward and eliminate these oddities that occur uh, throughout many, many nations. Um, I'm going to take you to someone that I absolutely adore, and you know, you can hate me for that. I'm okay. His name is Martin Shkreli. A lot of people, obviously, listening to the mainstream media and even the right media, were up in arms because this young man, a genius, Albanian descent, he's Albanian-American, uh, actually 
was so smart, he had detected that there was a drug for AIDS that can actually lower uh, the concentration of AIDS to the point where you can't even detect it on a blood test. And you see it on your TV now being advertised. Pay attention. So what happens is, and I'll tell you guys how patents work, and this is why um, patents that I filed, I filed under um, seal um, for minors whenever I file, um, they expire. And how drug companies work is they send an army of lawyers at midnight with letters armed to the teeth to be the first one in the door to claim, you know, that patent when it pops so they can own it. Well, this drug for AIDS has been around for a long time, 20 years, guys. And it costs $13 to make. But the population of the United States of America, nor anyone in the, in, on the planet, except for very few, had access to it. So what did Martin do? He went there and gained the patent. The minute he got the patent, they couldn't sell that drug anymore because it was his. Pharmaceutical companies, Democrats, and Republicans that had invested in that were really, really upset. So what they did was they came and attacked him. And do you know what he did? Well, you're going to start attacking me with all these fake investigations through the IRS, through the SEC? Well, guess what? He bumped the price, one pill, $750, marketed it. Everyone's like, how dare he? Yeah, you remember now who he is, right? The guy that made that pill, $750 a pill, when it's only $13. What do you say? Well, it's been around for 20 years. Did you know about it? No, you didn't. But now you do because I upped the price so I can get some attention, so I can get some outrage, fake outrage. So they came down on him hard. And the Obama administration made sure that it was swift. He was in federal court for SEC BS. BS, because remember, Theranos went through court. They were found to have embezzled money, to have defrauded people. But guess what? They had John Mattis, General Mattis, Kissinger, and all these other people, all these deep staters on their board. Guess what? She got away with it. You know, that was the blood research company with the adrenochrome. And they claimed that they could take one drop of your blood and tell you if you've got cancer, if you've got this BS. They were cultivating blood samples. They were recreating artificial blood. Okay? Let's be straight. They got caught with their pants down over half a million dollars missing in fraud and so much more. And that person didn't even see one day in jail. Yet Martin Shkreli went to jail. Do you know why? Even though he was going through court, which was really quick, mind you, super quick, so fast your head would spin, and it's like, whoa, how'd he get to the top of the pile? Enron didn't even get to the top of the pile that fast. Guess what he did? He went on Facebook and did a live stream and said, somebody get me a strand of Hillary Clinton's hair. I will analyze it and tell you who she is. He said that. The next day... He was in federal prison. Are you getting this? Now, yesterday during conversation, I was talking about it, and I noticed that he put up to SCOTUS um, to reexamine his unfair political prisoner type, you know, expedited case. I am really hoping that the president deals with that. This is not my America if that is allowed to happen. I mean, he's safe where he is. Who knows? Maybe he has a hair somewhere Hmm? the bottom line is they threw him in there 
right before the elections because he asked for her hair, which is something very easy to get. I mean, she wears wigs anyway, but I'm just saying he he asked for it. I could ask for it. So if I ask for a strand of Hillary's hair, if you find it on the floor, I didn't say go pull her hair. If you can get me a DNA sample, you know, I would analyze it and, you know, like I can get your hair walking on the street. We could be sitting down together at a Panera, you know, eating, you know, a sandwich and I'll take your hair that falls down or take your cup when you dispose it because it's free game, right? When they want a DNA profile, you, they're not going to ask you for a cheek swab. They'll just take your glass. So that's all he asked for. And he's in jail. Wonder what he was on to, huh? Why were they so vicious to throw him in? Hmm? Why? Think about it, guys. This is something we should think about. This is a big deal. Yet we have people talking about Tice. Yang tweeted about it today. That journalist that's been captured since 2012 in Syria, suddenly his name is coming up. Seven years later, his name is coming up. That he's been kidnapped. <laughs> Are you understanding this? I, it's like almost me getting into my TARDIS. They're going to credit President Trump with that. Tice slaughtered because of President Trump. Yet it was under the Obama administration that he was caught and did nothing. Remember that when it comes out. And the rhetoric begins. Ooh, let's see what pops today. I'm watching the justice.gov site like nobody's business. I'll see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern time, only on Red State Talk Radio. From all of us here at Red State Talk Radio, God bless. <laughs>